Welcome to Rise Radio with counselor and prevention expert Randy Havison. Recovery in various forms is something that many of us face every day. Most of us need some sort of intervention to start the process of rebuilding and reconnecting our lives. This program serves to empower you to find new ways of solving old problems. Now, here is your host, Randy Havison. Good morning and welcome back or welcome for the first time to Rise Radio. I'm your host, Randy Havison. And on this show, we talk about a variety of different issues. And today, I am really excited about this show. Uh, a lot of college students are going back to campus, and a lot of parents are concerned, you know, what's the right way to handle different issues and different things that are going on. So on this show, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, I have a guest joining us for our first half of the show, and on the second half, I'm going to be taking your calls, answering questions about various issues. Uh, we'll get into that later, but I know Sarah... Sarah has a limited amount of time, and she has so much to share with us, so I want to get right to this, and I want to introduce Sarah Shoup. Sarah is the CEO and founder of University Parent, the place for parents to find connection, information, and support. The company, which began by producing a parent guide for the University of Colorado at Boulder, now features information about 3,000 colleges and universities and reaches more than 10 million parents each year. The Gates Foundation named Sarah a player to watch in post-secondary education. Sarah has also been named one of Inc. Magazine's top 30 entrepreneurs under 30, Business Week's top 25 entrepreneurs under 25, and one of Denver Business Journal's top women under 40. She serves on the Board of Trustees and on the Chancellor's Strategic Advisory Council for the University of Colorado. Sarah lives in Boulder with her husband, Josh, and her two daughters, Jenna and Claire. And Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I first found University Parent, because I was looking around for different resources that might be available, because I do a lot of work with University Parents too, and I came across your site, and I was blown away by the amount of information was there on a variety of different topics, and I think you've done an excellent job putting this together. So I thought, let's have you on the show and, and give parents more information and education. Uh, and of course, first, I want to talk about how you got here and, and to this place. So let's start with that. What was your journey getting you to the place where you were putting this together? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I started this journey a little over 10 years ago. I was actually a student at the University of Colorado, and I was really involved on campus. I was um, senior class president, and I had many different jobs, and I had a lot of chances to interact with some of the administrators and, and also um, lots of students and, and parents and, and trying to find out, you know, what problems could we solve for them and how could we help them have a better experience and, and be better supported. And one of the big themes was really that parents wanted to be supportive and wanted to um, participate in any way that they could, but they, there weren't really a lot of ways for them to channel their support effectively. Mm-hmm. And right, so, and this was 10 years ago, correct? That's right, yes. Yeah, and back then, you're right, there wasn't a lot available. So what'd yeah, you do about it? it? Yeah, so I... Um, I approached the university with just this really simple idea that we would create a guide for families that would help answer any questions that they had about the university as well as the local area, sort of like a Cliff's Notes to the college. 
And mm-hmm. the university thought it was a great idea, but they said, you know, they didn't have resources to put something like that together. So I actually created a business around it and um, made the guide in partnership with them and then went into the local community to get advertisers that would pay for the guide so that we had a way to, um, you know, continually grow it and make it better and better. And then just started growing it to other campuses from there. Wow. How many campuses at this point have that kind of a guide? Um, there are about a hundred campuses that have our printed parent guide. Um, we actually no longer produce that. We, um, partnered with another company that's now producing those guides, but the online version is available at almost every four year school. Oh, that's so great. So then what was the impetus or, or what got you started with getting the website going? Um, Well, we wanted to get the website going because as we were partnering with schools for printed guides, we had a lot of schools that were interested in a printed guide, but we didn't have the resources to be able to do advertising in that area. And so we wanted to have a way to help those campuses and those parents connect with each other um, easily and in a low-cost way. And we also wanted a way to help parents navigate the process even before they decided on a college that we could start helping high school families too. Oh, that's wonderful. So how long has universityparent.com been up? It's been up um, about 11 years. Oh, it has. And, yeah, we, and I'm sure it's evolved over time. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a daily process of, um, you know, continual improvement and trying to make it the best resource that it can be for families. But we certainly have a, a long ways to go. It's definitely a lifetime project. Oh, sure. And it, this is 10 million parents each year go to the site? Yes, we get a ton of traffic from families that are um, searching for resources, whether it's uh, general resources about how to support their student or, you know, something specific, like they're looking for a date on campus, like Parents Weekend, or mm-hmm. even something off campus, like a place for their student to live or, um, you know, a moving and storage company. We've got all kinds of things like that to help them. Wow. That is such a great resource. I know there are so many parents who have kids who've already graduated that wish they had this resource available to them. But it's yeah, great that they, they have this now. So tell me, you know, what are some of the things that parents are searching for most? I'm sure you look at uh, where they're going and what they're doing and what they're looking for. What are some of the things that parents want to know about? Uh, like what would be the top three? Yeah, I think um, probably the top three, the biggest one is um, finances. You know, Mm -hmm. college is incredibly expensive and parents are always trying to figure out ways to to handle that expense, whether it's, uh, you know, living expenses like, uh, you know, housing and textbooks and food and which meal plan to get, as well as just the major expenses that come along with tuition and fees. So I'd say mm-hmm. that's really area number one. And then um, area number two, uh, you know, is a lot of about how do you parent from afar? And mm-hmm. that's a really broad topic. But, you know, parents are used to being able to look their kids in the eye at the breakfast table or dinner table and see how they're doing. And when they don't have that anymore, it's it's much more difficult to figure out, you know, if they're doing okay and if they're not doing okay, you know, what are really the best ways for them to help them when they're, they may be thousands of miles away? Mm-hmm. Do you address anything? Because, you know, I hear a lot of uh, college administrators talking about the helicopter parent syndrome. 
Do you have articles or information? Because sometimes there's a really fine line between being a concerned parent and being a helicopter parent. Do you have tips that you give parents on that issue? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a term that a lot of people um, are familiar with. And it's, you know, kind of makes me uh, shudder a little bit because I feel like it's a it's really an unfair label for most parents. I think that there's certainly exceptions to the rule where parents are going way overboard and interfering on their students' behalf. But I think for the most part, you know, all parents just want to help. And the challenge is that they just don't know how. And they're used to having, you know, teachers and friends and, um, you know, other students and parents around them that can help really give them ways to help channel that energy and and um, and be supportive. But when they're not there, it's it's such a different thing. And so that's really what we tell the school. We say, you know, parents can be your biggest ally and your biggest advocate. Mm-hmm but you have to give them a way and a guide and you have to show them how to participate in a way that's going to be helpful for the student and helpful for the university. You're absolutely right. And I think that's a really good way to put it too. And you know, I, I think that a lot of parents shy away from getting involved because they don't want to be labeled that helicopter parent. But you know, there's a difference between finding out how your kid's doing and checking in and calling them and calling a professor and saying, why did my kid get a B on a test? You know, there's a huge difference between those. But I agree with you that parent involvement is really important. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah, one of the analogies that we use that seems to really resonate both with um, faculty, staff, students, and parents is really that, you know, when your student goes off to college, and even really when they're in high school, your role is really meant to be a coach and a cheerleader. You know, you are not on the same team, but you are there on the sidelines advocating for your student, you know, giving them resources that will help them be successful, uh, cheering them on. Um, you know, all those kinds of things, but you absolutely cannot do the work for them. You know, it's like you cannot run wind sprints. You cannot do pushups for them. They have to put in the work, but you're there to, um, to guide them and to, you know, be excited for them. That's a really great point. And yeah, like it's not okay to run on the field and argue with the referee, <laughs> but you right, can be in right. the stands and be the cheerleader. So that's a great way to put it. Okay. So what is, what would you say the third issue is? We have finances, we have how to get involved. What's number three? Yeah, I think the next one, um, when you think about kind of the general areas, we see a lot of questions about really just nuts and bolts information about schools. And one of the big reasons for the, and, and, you know, just to give you an example, so it might be they're looking for the academic calendar, or they're looking for the dates for move-in, or the dates for Thanksgiving break or Christmas break. And while that sounds really basic, it can actually, um, it, you know, can cause a lot of anxiety for the family when they aren't getting information directly from the school that they're used to getting when they're kids in high school. And so we see a lot of kind of panic around um, that kind of thing. It's like if they're booking, you know, flights for spring break or holiday, they want to know. But once the student turns 18, the school typically only communicates that type of information to the student and then the school is relying on the student to relay that information to their parent Mm -hmm. and you know I'm sure (laughs) from your experience um, you know most students just don't do that they they assume their parents know because they've always known that kind of detail and um, Mm -hmm. so it's an area that causes a lot of friction for families. 
Yeah, communication with an 18, 19-year-old can be very challenging at times. Absolutely. Yeah, and, (laughs) you know, a giant, you know, 30,000-person-plus institution. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a tough, um, you know, it seems like a tough issue, but then one that we've tried to solve just by making that information easy to find and accessible and um, not in a, a black hole of a university website. Mm-hmm. So, do you provide information about specific universities on your site too, or is it more general? Um, we have both. So, we've got information on um, specific universities. What we try and do is find the information on the university's website and then just provide a link to it. So, whether it's mm-hmm. you know the link to pay tuition or the link to the calendar, um, we've tried to bring those. Uh, links to the to the top so that the parents don't have to dig through a whole bunch of stuff on the school's website to actually find it. But we don't mm-hmm. keep it on our site because it, it's so hard to keep up to date. Oh, sure. Absolutely. That, that would be almost impossible to do. Yeah. Okay, Sarah, <laughs> this great information, and, and we have to take a short break here. But when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the habits of highly successful students. And I'm sure, Sarah, that you are living these as well as teaching these. Um, but I want to hear about those for the parents that are listening on what can they do for their students. And I'm sure this would be applicable for students of any age, not just college. Would that be correct? Definitely. Yeah. These are, I think, really important habits just to be able to, um, yeah, to live a great life and get get done what you want to get done. Excellent. And I'm going to be taking notes too, because I could probably use a few (laughs) of these myself. So we will be right back after this short break with Sarah Shoup from universityparent.com. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio. Welcome back. This is your host, Randy Havison on Rise Radio, and we are here today with Sarah Shoup, the CEO and founder of UniversityParent.com. Uh, I am, the information that you have, we could probably talk for three shows on all the information you have, but I want to get right to um, tips for, for how to become a great student. And, and I do want to say to the audience, if you want to call in, uh, feel free to do so. We're happy to answer your questions. Uh, again, that number is 888-346-9141, and we'd love to get your calls. And so, Sarah, let's start talking about some of these tips. Yeah, definitely. So um, it's interesting. I actually, I just started teaching this semester at here in Boulder at the University of Colorado. So nice. it's funny to go back through these from a uh, the faculty perspective, too. But yeah, um, yeah so... You know, one of the biggest things that we see with um, students being successful or not successful is really in terms of making a budget for not just money, but for time. And, you know, it's like students are so used to being overscheduled or just scheduled in general by their families. And then once they get to college, they have this, you know, they've got their whole day in theory available to them. And you know, suddenly they don't have classes that are all in a row. It's like you've got, you know, two hours here and then a break and then another mm-hmm. class and then a break. And so it's really difficult for them to navigate that if they haven't had that kind of experience. So um, that's one area that we really encourage parents to talk to their son or daughter about is just literally sitting down with their schedule of classes and then talking through, you know, okay, here's, you know, here's where you need to be during the week and what else are you going to spend your time on? You know, are you working? Are you, have you budgeted time to exercise? Have you budgeted time to um, even go to campus events? Yeah. Yeah. And, and eating is important too. I find (laughs) a lot of students forget to do that. So do you suggest that they get some kind of a calendar system and have their hours marked out? Yeah. I mean, that's what I tend to do is I, you know, I literally will, will, um, book out every single hour that I know, um, in the day, even if it's not a scheduled event, but if I have a task that I need to get done or, um, something to prepare for, making sure that I've actually allocated that time, uh, on my calendar. And I just use a Google calendar, but, you know, I think everyone's different. Some people like it to be in writing and in print, and some people prefer the digital solution with whether it's on their phone or on an online calendar. True. Cool. Yeah. And I think budgeting time is, is vital and putting study time in there, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And on study time, you know, most, um, most people say that for however many hours you're in class, uh, you should prepare that many hours outside of class to be 
you know, on top of assignments and reading and uh, making sure that you're fully ready to go in and participate in the discussion. So that's one way to kind of think about your blocks of time. If you're taking, you know, 12 credit hours, you should also be studying 12 hours a week. So is that the new, because I remember it used to be two hours for every hour in class. So they've changed that? Uh, could be. Maybe your school was just harder than harder than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. No. San Diego State, no. no. <laughs> I, I think, too, it depends on the class. You know, it's like sometimes if you're in a lab or, you know, different classes require different levels of preparation. But That's I would true. say, you know, hour on average is probably good. Okay. And what about where to study? Because I see that some students do well in a library. Some students do well in a dining hall. You know, what do you, what kind of tips do you give to students on where to do their studying? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, again, I think it depends really on the student and they should experiment with different places on campus, whether it Mm -hmm. is the library or their room or a dining hall and just, you know, be honest with themselves and check on their productivity and, you know, see if they feel like that's a great environment for them. But mm-hmm. I think just like having a schedule, it's so important to have those regular places that, you know, you mm-hmm. say, okay, before this class, I'm going to go to this place and study and make that a habit. And yep. so that that way you're not wasting time trying to decide, well, where should I go study or where should I go work on my assignment? And mm-hmm. um, that'll just kill a bunch of time. That's And, mm-hmm. and also, too, just brain power trying to think through all of your options, especially on a college campus. Yeah, that's true. I heard someone say that the law library is the best place if you want nice and peaceful, quiet, the law library of a university is the best place to go. I believe that. Yeah. yeah. That, that is a very quiet. It's, it's interesting, too. Like some students really need kind of some background noise and, and some people mm-hmm. need just absolute quiet. So totally depends yeah, on the yeah. student. It blows me away. I watch these students who are eating and studying and they have their iPod going and it's like, how are you doing this? But man, they know how to multitask. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So So what are some other tips? We have scheduling. What else? Yeah, so scheduling um, is a huge one. And then the next one is really to divide up your tasks. So if you have, you know, on the first day of class, most instructors are going to hand out a syllabus with assignments for the whole semester. And I think that's, this is another trap or that students fall into where they have this expectation that, you know, someone's going to be reminding them about things that are due or, you know, helping them figure out um, or, you know, when the next thing is coming up or the exam. And, you know, once you're in college, that for the most part isn't going to happen anymore. So it's so important mm-hmm. to take a look at that syllabus on day one and literally put all of those dates into your calendar, whether it's digital or print, when things are due and make sure that you're backing up, you know, if you have an exam, that you're backing up weeks in advance or a big paper and trying to chunk out those projects and so that you're not suddenly just hit with um, a last-minute deadline or feeling really unprepared when you have the whole semester in front of you on day one. Mm-hmm. And preparing is much better than cramming for academic success. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Typically, yes. I mean, I know some yeah. people do better with procrastination, but, you know, I think generally you're going to learn a lot better if, if you really have time to think through it and, and process it. Absolutely. Great tip. Okay, we got some more? Yeah, so um, I'll share, you know, one or two more. And then if, if anyone wants to look these up, I'll, um, I'll share it on Twitter right now in our, um, it's just twitter.com slash 
for the number college parents, or you can find it on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash university parent. And so the next one that I think is a huge tip just in terms of um, being successful is really to, to surround yourself with a community of achievers. And, you know, there's that cliche quote about you're the, you know, the result of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I think that that is so important to consider in college. It's like you're no longer just around your, you know, friends in your neighborhood. um, And you have to go out and find people that are really going to inspire you and encourage you to do a really great job and, um, and also push you and challenge you. And I think that's, that's one of the best parts about being on a campus is just having, you know, having so many people around you that are all there to learn and, and are all, well, hopefully you're finding the people that are there to learn and, uh, and help them, you know, feel inspired. It's just, that's one of the best parts about it. Absolutely. And would you find that a subset of that would be where you sit in the classroom? You know, I saw somewhere that there was a study, the closer you sit to the front of the room or the center of the room, the higher your GPA. So would that kind of follow that you'd want to sit in the front of the room with the other people that are really into their academics rather than being in the back of the room with the people who just are might not be paying as good attention? Definitely. I think that's huge to really um, be in front, make eye contact with the professor or make mm-hmm. eye contact with whoever's speaking in class, um, showing the teacher that you're participating. I mean, it's just it, it, it just breaks my heart when I... Uh, see students like that that are in the back, um, not engaged. It's just like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, every single class is so expensive, uh, not just in terms of money, but even in terms of your time. And so important to really make sure you're maximizing that and taking advantage of everything that campus has to offer. Absolutely. Have you ever heard of the slant method of being in class? Uh, I haven't. Tell me about that. Oh, slant is awesome. Uh, Slant means that S is you sit up straight. L is you lean forward. A, ask questions. N, nod your head when the professor's talking. And T is to sit in that T section of the classroom, which is in the front or up the middle. And all of those help a person to be more engaged. And you know how it is, and and I'm sure you like to tell your students this too, is that the more you're engaged with the professor and go in for office hours and do all those things, the better chance you have if there's a choice between an A- and a B+, you're going to get that A-. Or the difference between a B- minus and a C+, you're going to get that better grade if the professor knows that you're engaged and, and a part of the, the class. Definitely. That's a great, great tip. I think, you know, univer- um, professors want you to be successful and they, mm-hmm. it's so hard for them to know um, either how well you're doing or if you're engaged or if you're interested, if you aren't reflecting body language that really shows that to them. So great point. I like that. Yeah. So we only have a couple minutes before our next break. So what are some other, what's another main tip that we want to get across to our listeners today? Yeah, um, so I think the other tip that I would really encourage um, is to think about from a from a, from your perspective, like really making sure that you have a goal and a plan in mind for mm-hmm. your experience on campus. You know, whether it's graduating with a certain degree in a certain amount of time, or if it's getting a certain job or um, learning certain skills to prepare you for the next program. I just think having that vision personally about what you want to get out of college as a student 
is absolutely critical. It's not about what your parents want you to get out. It's not about Mm -hmm. what your friends want you to get out. It really has to come from you and what you're excited about. So that's, I think, you know, last tip that's incredibly important is just know yourself and, and make a plan to help yourself get what you want out of school. Yeah, absolutely. And it's okay for that plan to change too, correct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's okay for that plan to, how about evolve? <laughs> there you go. Oh, I like that. Yeah, because I've watched so many students that, you know, they go to school, I'm going to go to medical school, and then they take a class on anthropology, and it just lights them up. And they say, oh, yeah. this is what I want to do. So it's okay to have your goals and your plans evolve. It's just not okay to let them go. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, those are some awesome tips. And um, I know you have to go, and I wish we had more time because this was awesome. And maybe we'll bring you back another time. So can you great. stick around for one more segment or you have to go? I, unfortunately, I do have to go today, but I okay. would love to come back another time. Yeah, definitely. We will do that. And Sarah, we're going to put uh, the web address on the riseradioshow.com website as a resource. So if parents want to reach you later, uh, they'll know where to get in touch with you. And uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I wish you all the best as your site and your business continues to grow. And I, I will definitely be calling you again to come back. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me and for the opportunity to speak with your audience. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Sarah. Have a good day. And we will be right back after these messages. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better. But how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning into the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one, be it a friend or family member. 
There are all kinds of questions and emotional pain that we go through, but you can move on. Listen for From Morning to Morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer. It doesn't matter what faith you are, or if you even have no faith, you are sure to find meaning in Rabbi Mel's words and personal experience, as well as that of his guests. From Morning to Morning airs live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio. Okay, welcome back. This is Randy Havison with Rise Radio. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed that time with Sarah as much as I did. She is just a wealth of information. And again, for anyone who missed the first part or if you want to uh, hear this segment again, there are a number of ways that you can hear this. But if you want more information on Sarah and universityparent.com, we're going to have the resource on our website on riseradioshow.com so just check in there on the resource page and you'll find the link to to Sarah's uh, company and her website so one of the things that I also want to talk about and I was wondering when Sarah was saying that uh, I, I asked her what are the top three things that parents are wanting information on and one of the things that of course I hear about a lot is that parents want to know about how do I talk to my kid about alcohol and other drugs and what's actually going on on college campuses? Where can I get this information? How do I talk to my kid? Is college different now than it was when I was in college? So I like answering those questions and, and hearing from, from parents. And a lot of my work, of course, is focused in that area. Uh, so that's what I hear about. But one of the things that I want to do here is, is I want to remind you, if you want to call in and ask a question, the number to call is 888 346 9141. And and let's get into this. Some of the tips for parents on how to talk to your kid about alcohol and other drugs before they go away to college. And one of the main tips that I give people is to have multiple conversations about alcohol and other drugs. And this goes for whether your kid is still you know, in kindergarten or whether they're going off to college, having conversations, ongoing conversations about alcohol and other drugs is really important. Um, and when they're going off to college to find out, are they planning to drink? Um, are they planning to drink a lot? Are they planning to join uh, a Greek organization or another organization that where alcohol could be a focal point? And to see what their ideas are. You know, are they kind of weary about alcohol or are they kind of embracing and looking forward to it? So kind of gauge their interest and and just have conversations and let them know that there is a strong correlation between the number of drinks someone consumes per week and their GPA. Uh, those numbers are in statistics in a lot of different places. Um, I'm also going to list places to get good research on the website after this show. 
Um, but some of the best places are through the Core Institute, through the CDC, through the NIAAA. But I will have all those websites listed. And in fact, I think I already have them listed. If you go to partywithaplan.com, uh, all of those resources are available there too. So again, having conversations with your your child about what their ideas are about alcohol. And of course, one of the things I talk about is low-risk use of alcohol and the low-risk use versus high-risk use. And I think it's important to teach students how to drink in a way that lowers their risk for getting in trouble with alcohol. If they are choosing to drink, it's important to give them the tools. You know, one of the reasons I came up with Party With A Plan is that I got really tired of the messages that were out there for students in regard to alcohol. You know, we're telling them, be responsible. But what does that mean? I mean, if you ask five random people to define responsible drinking, you get five completely different answers. So I wanted to come up with a way that teaches people how to drink and lower their risk for getting in trouble. So I did a lot of research and I came up with the party with the plan formula, the zero, one, two, three, and then the questions to ask yourself before you go out. And, and one of the things that I do when I'm on media interviews is I'll talk about basically what I've done with Party with a Plan is I've created a speed limit for drinking. So up until now, all we've had is be responsible. But my analogy is, could you imagine driving down the road and you see a speed limit sign that says drive responsibly? I mean, what does that mean? Do you go 35, 55, 80? Uh, No idea. So what Party with a Plan does is it gives very specific guidelines on how what it means to be low risk and how to drink and keep yourself safer. So that's what I wanted to do with this program. And to just kind of go through it real quick right now, the 0123 is that sometimes zero is your best option in any given evening. So if you have to drive, if you're on medication, uh, if you have a test in a couple of days and you need to be studying, then it's a good idea to stick to the low-risk guidelines. If you are going to drink, then it's a good idea to have no more than one drink per hour, which is defined as a 12-ounce beer, a 5-ounce glass of wine, or a 1-ounce shot in a mixed drink. Uh, So that's the one because that's what your liver can metabolize at any one time. And the two is to drink no more than two times per week because studies show that those who get in trouble with alcohol are those who drink three or more times per week. So the low-risk guideline is to drink no more than two times per week. And the three... And this is the one that a lot of students have trouble with. But again, what we're talking about here are guidelines in in being safe. And that is to have no more than three drinks in any 24-hour period. And again, a drink is defined as a 12-ounce beer, a 5-ounce glass of wine, or a 1-ounce shot. So we're not talking about a Long Island iced tea or a 40-ounce beer. Those don't count. So it's a 12-ounce beer, 5-ounce glass of wine, or a 1-ounce shot in a mixed drink, and that's considered a drink. So no more than three in an evening. And again, what this does, it kind of draws a line in the sand that says this is low risk, and if you go above it, it's high risk. Just like if we have a speed limit sign that says 65, that's the limit. When we go under that, we're keeping ourselves safer, and the more we go over the speed limit or the more often we go over the speed limit, the more we put ourselves and others at risk. So that's where speed limits keep people safe. So if you know your limit is, hey, you know what, I know three is a low risk guideline, but if I'm not driving and I'm feeling all right and I don't have a test, it's okay for me to have four. 
So if that happens, you know, you have to know your own body. And what we're talking about is about keeping yourself safer. And, and that's the whole goal behind that. So what I suggest to parents, you know, if you have the party with the plan book, you know, read it yourself, read it with your child so that they know what the book is about, you know what the book is about, and talk about the low-risk guidelines as something that, that he or she can follow when they get to school if they are going to drink how to stay safer. And, you know, it, it's funny, a lot of people don't know this, and I, I love educating people on this, that only, uh, uh, well, not only, but 20 to 25% of all college students choose not to drink. They just don't drink at all for a variety of different reasons. But we're talking about one out of five to one out of four students does not drink at all. So this notion out there that everybody does it, it's just not true. There are a number of students who don't. And we also find that about 40% of students drink once a month or less. So this is the majority of students who drink once a month or less or don't drink at all. So, you know, what happens when we hear these stories in the media is we hear about the sensationalized. We hear about the out of the ordinary things that happen out there. And that's why we think that that's the norm. But it's really not. I mean, you think about how many athletes were participating in the Olympic Games and only one got in trouble because of unsafe behavior, a high-risk behavior as a result of drinking. So, you know, it's it's not the norm. Most athletes were behaving themselves and, and acting accordingly, and a lot of those athletes don't drink at all because they respect their bodies and what they're doing to them. So we have to keep that into perspective, that most students are making good choices. And we're actually finding that about 30% of students drink three or more times per week. So again, only 30%, not even a third of students are drinking three times or more, but they tend to be clustered in, in various areas. You know, like Sarah was talking about, surround yourself with people that are making good decisions and you're less likely to make a poor decision. But people who are making high-risk decisions like to hang out with other people making high-risk decisions. You know, I, I, there were times where I was a counselor on college campuses and students would say to me, but everybody drinks. And I said, no, it's just everybody you know drinks. So now it's time to find a new support network and a new group of people to hang out with so that you're going to be able to make better decisions and people are going to support those decisions. So having those conversations, um, letting them know that if there ever is a problem, that they can come to you and talk to you about it, that's really important as well. Uh, know where the resources are on campus. If it sounds like your, your son or your daughter might start to have a problem, uh, then it's okay to to find the resources on campus just in case, you know, like we see the AED machines. You know, we're not pulling them out anytime someone coughs, but if there is a serious problem, they're there on the wall and we can use them if needed. So it's the same kind of thing for you to be prepared. If there is some kind of an issue, you're concerned about it, find out, is there a substance abuse specialist in the counseling center? Is there a health promotion office? Does your school have a social worker on campus? So there are a number of places where you can look for support. And if you're having a tough time finding it, just call the counseling center and say, my, my son or my daughter is a student there. Uh, if there's ever some kind of a substance abuse issue, you know, who's the person on campus that I would talk to? And then get that person's name, number, and, and email address and just have it handy just in case. So that, you know, again, being prepared never hurts. 
Uh, another thing that I like to talk about to parents is if you had a bout of drinking and using when you were in college, maybe you were in a Greek organization or on the rugby team or you did something and alcohol was involved, it's important not to glamorize your past drug or alcohol use with your child uh, because what that does, it kind of gives them more permission in order to go do the same thing themselves. So it's important not to glamorize. Uh, and yeah, there was that one time where we drank half a keg and we went out and we did fill in the blank. So it's a good idea not to do that because uh, it gives permission. And, and one of the things we're going to talk about after this next break is that the rules have changed. You know, it is not the same college campus that that was there when you were in college as a parent. Uh, it, the the rules have changed, and we're going to talk about that as well as some other things uh, when we come back from this break. And it's important for you as parents to know just how they've changed, so you can better prepare for what your kid is going to step onto his campus and see or hear. So we're going to take a quick break now, and we will be back after the short messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one, be it a friend or family member. There are all kinds of questions and emotional pain that we go through, but you can move on. Listen for From Morning to Morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer. It doesn't matter what faith you are, or if you even have no faith, you are sure to find meaning in Rabbi Mel's words and personal experience, as well as that of his guests. From Morning to Morning airs live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here, Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio. Welcome back. This is Randy Havison on Rise Radio. And we are talking today about tips for success in college. In our first couple segments, we had Sarah Shoup from universityparent.com talking about tips for academic success and tips for parents on how to help your kid transition to college in a smoother, easier way. 
Uh, in that last segment, we've been talking about how to prepare your, your child for college when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. And I want to continue on that uh, topic. And I also, again, want to invite you to call in if you have any questions, want to talk about any of this. Uh, the number is 888-346-9141. And uh, feel free to ask any question that you'd like. So before the break, we were talking about how it's a different world out there from how it was 10, 20, 30 years ago on, in the college scene. A lot of things have changed. And actually, when it comes to alcohol and other drugs, it's actually become a lot more dangerous. So it's important for you as a parent to know what's going on out there so that you can better prepare and, and prepare your child when they go off to college. You know, the number one thing that, that I talk about is... You know, the uh, alcohol's always been a part of the college culture. It's always been there, but there's never really been any kind of a focus on what's actually going on and giving support. That's only happened over the past 10, 20 years. But when it comes to the use on campus, we're finding that there, for the ones who are using in a high-risk way, um, there's a lot more dangerous use. And there's a lot of combination of drug use going on. Uh, they'll mix alcohol with study drugs like Adderall uh, or, or you know drugs like that that they say help them study, uh, which can also cause dependence and addiction later on. Um, also, marijuana is something that's making a huge comeback on college campuses today. And the marijuana that was going on in the 60s and 70s is not the marijuana that's on campuses today. And I'd, I encourage you to look up some of the current research that's out there from um, Dr. Amelia Aria, A-R-R-I-A, and from Jason Kilmer up at University of Washington. They're doing some really good work and research on marijuana. But the thing to know about, about pot is that over the last 30 years, 20 years, it's evolved where the THC content is so much more powerful now than it was back in the days when you might have been in high school or college that it's just not the same drug that it used to be. You know, back then, marijuana was 7 to 14% THC, and the marijuana that's on the streets today is 14 to 28%. So the the best stuff that we were doing back then is the worst stuff that they could get their hands on now. So, and, and I've even heard about some crystallized forms of THC that are being sold that are up to 90% THC. So it's really dangerous and, and different it's a different drug than it was, you know, back then. And my analogy that I use is back in our day, the bottle said Budweiser and what was inside was Budweiser. But today the bottle says Budweiser, but what's inside is Jack Daniels. It's a completely different drug. It's a completely different drink. Uh, so it's important to know that when it comes to marijuana, and especially if people are mixing marijuana with alcohol or other drugs. You know, now we have the date rate drugs that are out there, so people have to be careful about that. Uh, you know, Today we have the, the opiate epidemic, and still with college students, the numbers are low with the number of college students compared to you know, the older adult population, you know, those in their 30s and 40s. But still, it's important to be aware that these issues are out there, and a lot of the opiate addiction starts with uh, painkillers. So if you have a son or daughter who's an athlete and they've been on uh, some kind of a painkiller for pain, you know, make sure that they're weaned off of it safely and that they're not continuing to use it if it's not prescribed anymore. So it's important to be aware of what's going on 
uh, in terms of alcohol and other drug use because, you know, the last thing we want is that phone call. So it's important to keep talking and talk to your kid about it. Talk about marijuana and how it's changed. You know, we're at a point right now where more states are, are legalizing marijuana for recreational use. And me personally, I see that as being very dangerous. Um, we're going to see so many problems as a result of legalizing it. In fact, in Colorado, they're already finding all kinds of issues. Um, while they're talking about the tax revenue that's coming in, that's bringing more money into the state, what they're not talking about is that emergency room visits have increased by 400% since they legalized marijuana for recreational use. And there are a lot of people out there who are ending up in emergency rooms from overdosing mostly on edibles. So it is possible to overdose. It is possible to uh, have life-changing experiences as, as a result of one time of using. And yes, marijuana is an addictive drug, but we can go into that on another show and another time. So you know, I want to give a couple more tips before we have to get out of here. Uh, and, and the main one that I want to get across, because I hear a lot of parents say, my kid's going to college, so I might as well drink with them now. And I'm here to caution you that when kids are allowed to drink in the home, and again, this is not every home. This is just what the research shows, that those who are allowed to drink in the home tend to engage in higher risk drinking later on once they get to college. So it's almost like you've opened the floodgates and you've said, hey, it's okay if you do this. But again, there's the cerebral cortex part of their brain, that part that makes decisions, is not fully formed until they're about 24, 25 years old. So you tell an 18, 19-year-old, hey, it's okay to do this here, but all they hear is, it's okay to do this. So I always encourage parents, the legal drinking age is 21. Encourage your child to wait until they're 21 to drink and don't allow them to drink when they're in your home. Again, it's just going to keep them safer, keep you safer. And again, it sets a boundary for them uh, that's going to, they know where they stand and, and it's okay for you as a parent to set those boundaries with your kids because you are still their parent. I know a lot of parents who say, you know, now that my kid's in college, I can be more their friend. But now more than ever, they need their parents there to still give them their guidance because you know how it is. I mean, my daughter does this too. I will say, hey, why don't you do this? I know, dad. But then later on, I realized it did sink in and she did hear what I had to say and she does make changes in her behavior. So it's about planting seeds and helping them to be safe, helping them to have a great experience when they're in college. And the last thing we want is for someone to go to college and make one bad mistake that costs them for the rest of their life, for the rest of their college career. You know, we just had the Ryan Lochte situation in the Olympics. And here's a guy who won gold medals in the limelight, great role model for kids. One night he goes out, makes high-risk decisions, and ends up lying about it. And it has cost him his reputation. It has cost him millions in endorsements. So one mistake one night can really have an effect. And that's why I encourage people to to get the party with a plan book. Read through this because it makes sense. You know, the, the, I keep getting feedback over and over and over. I didn't just put this together and said, hey, this is great. I took years putting this together in order to keep people safe when it comes to their use of alcohol. And I know for me, you know, I didn't have anything like this. And I made high risk decisions on a regular basis to the point where I became addicted. 
And yes, I'm in long-term recovery now, but it was a really tough path. So what I'm doing through this book and through my message of Party with a Plan and through the programs that I bring to campuses is that I want to teach people the tools that I never had available to me. So my hope, you know, that, that you can get this information, partywiththeplan.com, riseradioshow.com, if you want information on any of our guests uh, or more information on, on what we're talking about here. Uh, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, you have something you want to share, feel free to shoot me an email, and I'd love to hear from you. And again, I would like to, we're running out of time here, and I want to welcome our guests and our listeners from around the world. Uh, this week, we had people from the UK, from China, from Japan, France, Canada, Japan, uh, all over the world. So thank you for listening in, and I hope the word continues to spread because I'm having so much fun doing this, and I hope you're enjoying it too, and we're going to keep bringing these topics on, and I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next week on Rise Radio. you for tuning in to rise radio please join your host randy havison again next wednesday at 1 p.m eastern time and 10 a.m pacific time on the voice america empowerment channel until our next show have a great week